0: I want to take as my text this morning a part of that second reading from Paul's letter to the Philippians, Philippians chapter 2, beginning at verse 2. If you're making use of the Pew Bible, you can find that text on page 1165, 1165. Paul's letter to the Philippians chapter 2 and beginning at verse 2, and I'd like us to read that together again. Philippians chapter 2 and beginning at verse 2. Apostle Paul is writing from prison. He's writing to a church that he had planted some years back, located in Macedonia, and what would be today uh, northern Greece. And he is under house arrest and literally chained to a Roman soldier in Rome. But he writes to them and he says, complete my joy. (laughs) Make me completely joyful. By being of the same mind and having the same love one for another, being in full accord and of one mind, and do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. And let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. And have this mind amongst yourselves, which, is, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by obedient, even to the point of death, even I've titled my talk this morning, The Mind of Christ Understood and Put into Practice. The Mind of Christ Understood and Put into Practice. Indeed, truth be told, all of life begins in the mind. Patrick Morley, in his book, The Man in the Mirror, wrote this. He said, before we speak or act, we are who we are first in our mind. And our speech and our actions are the result of our thinking. Or even in the Bible, Proverbs chapter 23 and verse 7, as a man thinks within himself, so he is. Or as Emerson famously put it, showing how critical one's mindset truly is. He wrote, so a thought reap an action. So an action, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. Sow a character, reap a destiny. But it all starts with the sowing of a thought in the mind. And our calling as believers in Christ, And the indispensable starting place of living anything that approximates a Christian life begins with us possessing within ourselves, as Paul says, the mind of Christ. And so in verse 5, he says, Have this mind amongst yourselves, and each of you as members of the body of Christ. That's what he's saying, it's a community thing. He's not just calling out certain individuals or the clergy well, you have the mind of Christ because that's your job. No, no, no. He calls to the church and says, have this mind amongst yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. However, before we can do that, what do we have to do? Well, we have to understand what that means. And so that's why I would like to begin, the mind of Christ understood. Notice again, verses 5 through 11. Have this mind amongst yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, or which was in Christ Jesus, is another way to take that. Who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he made himself nothing, that is, he emptied himself, Taking the form of a servant, a doulos, a slave, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And therefore God has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. A lot of up and down there, isn't it? And so Paul says, have this mind amongst yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Or better, have this mind amongst yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. It's his mind. It was his mind directing him to do all these things. And Paul says, have that mind in you. In fact, recently, I started praying several weeks ago, it might be months now. Um, And before I would say, Lord, strengthen my faith. Lord Jesus, strengthen my faith, strengthen my faith, you know, strengthen my faith. And I and I got and I said, you know what? I don't want you to strengthen my faith. <laughs> I want your faith. <laughs> I want you to give me your faith. And I think that kind of parallels this. I don't want you to touch my mind. I want you to give me your mind. Have this mind amongst yourselves which was also in Christ Jesus. Or as we have it in the New Living Translation, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Well, and what attitude or mindset was that? I well, notice again beginning at verse 5. Have this mind amongst yourselves which was also in Christ Jesus. Who? Christ Jesus. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped. Now, that Jesus is divine is a thing that you find throughout the scriptures. If it doesn't state it, if it doesn't state it definitely that Jesus is God or something along those lines, and it does, there are other things that clearly indicate that He's divine, like the way in which He practices divine prerogatives that none of the prophets would ever think about saying or doing. In fact, you remember in the, in the synoptics, you know, the, the, the religious establishment was always taking exception with Jesus because he presumed to forgive other people's sins. <laughs> well, that's a divine prerogative. Moses never said, your sins are forgiven. He would say, you better pray to God and hope God forgives your sins. But Jesus is divine, and so he does that. He gives life to the dead. He says that there's a day coming when he will come in all of his glory and he will separate the nations as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats and judge them. (laughs) That's a divine prerogative, but that's just an example. Indeed, some texts that speak even more directly, we find in all of the apostolic writings. In John, the famous passage, in the prologue, Chapter 1, verses 1, 14, 18. In the beginning was the Word, and John is referring to Jesus. In the beginning was the Logos, the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word was divine, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory. (laughs) Glory as of the Son, from the Father, full of grace and truth, and no one has ever seen God with his or her naked eyes, but the only God, referring to the Logos, referring to Jesus, who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Later in John, you know, Philip will say, Lord, show us the Father and and it will suffice. And he said, Philip, have I been with you so long and you say, show me the Father? If you've seen me, you wouldn't see anything different if I was to show you the Father. For we are one Colossians 1 and verse 15. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Colossians 2 and verse 19. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Hebrews chapter 1. Beginning at verse 1. Long ago at many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days he's spoken to us by his son. Not just a prophet. His son whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And Paul says in verse 6, and though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped. Have you ever have you ever uh, pulled rank with people? You know they weren't giving you the proper respect and so you had to remind them, you know, who you are. You heard about that guy who got bumped at the airport and he's desperate to make a meeting on the other side of the country and he's in the in the terminal there and at the gate and he gets upset and he he, he pushes his way through the line cuz everybody's trying to get somewhere. And he pushes up and cuts in line and goes up to the person working at the desk and, and says, I'm desperate to make a flight to make this meeting I've got to do. And she says, uh, sir, look, you're going to have to get in line with everyone." And he says, do you know who I am? And she got on the public address and she said, excuse me. K- we have a man up here who doesn't know who he is. And if anyone could please come up. And help us. But here, Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped. He never would have cut in line and said to somebody, Do you know who I am? Indeed, uh, that is to say that uh, his being equal with God the Father was not a matter of personal focus. If you had met Jesus, you would have never thought offhand that you were looking into the face of God. Or as the New Living Translation puts it, and his being equal with God the Father was not something that he clung to. Or in the New Revised Standard, and this idea is definitely in the Greek, Jesus being equal with God the Father was not for him a thing to be exploited. That is to say, Jesus being equal with God the Father was not for him a thing that he leveraged in order to take advantage of other people. Instead, Paul says in verse 7, Jesus emptied himself. He didn't himself up. He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, the creator of the universe, become slave and being born in the likeness of men. Indeed that Jesus emptied himself doesn't mean that he emptied himself of his divinity, but if you like it suggests that he emptied himself of all its rights and privileges or in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 Paul wrote famously for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich yet for our sakes he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich and Paul says in verse 7 that Jesus took upon him uh, took upon himself uh, that of, uh, of a servant And in fact, Jesus famously said, didn't he? In fact, it was in the the context of the disciples fighting amongst themselves about who was greatest among them, which seemed to be something they just loved to fight over. But he said to them, For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's how Jesus perceived himself. He didn't perceive himself as God come in the flesh. He perceived himself as a servant, a servant of God, a servant to others, and this is the Jesus mindset. How do you think about yourself? And Paul says in verse seven, and Jesus was born in the likeness of men. Indeed, Jesus didn't just suddenly appear like an angel. All of a sudden there he is. No, he was conceived, and then he was born, and all of that involves messy, bloody. He participated fully in what it means to be fully human, and all of that minus the corruption of sin. And so we read what the writer to the Hebrews wrote in Hebrews 4 and verse 15, for we do not have a high priest, referring to the ascended Christ, who's there praying and Speaking to God and advocating for us before the Father in heaven, our great intercessor. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect was tempted as we are, and yet without sin. And Paul continues in verse 8, And being found in human form, Jesus humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Where are the limits for you in serving God? Well, I'm not going to serve him if I have to give up that much time. I'm not going to serve God if I have to give up that much money. I'm not going to serve God if I have to give up this thing or that thing because he says it's going to hurt me. What does he know? Where are your limits? (laughs) He humbled himself. Indeed, Jesus was humble. He he possessed a, 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 a mindset of humility. And those who possess his mindset are also humble. Indeed, as with Christ, humility is a conspicuous feature amongst those who are humble, amongst those who have the mindset of Christ. The late Timothy Keller, and I have stolen this, but I always give him credit, one of the best definitions of humility I've ever heard. He defined humility as blessed self-forgetfulness. <laughs> you ever just like unaware of yourself? Huh? This, or, or, or is it like uh, Swindoll said, we, we, we take ourselves too seriously and God not seriously enough? Now that's wisdom, and that's a great observation. We take ourselves way more seriously than we take God. <laughs> Blessed self forgetfulness or lest you think that there's something psychologically wrong with being humble. Ken Blanchard in his book, Leadership Smart, said, people with humility don't think less of themselves, they just think of themselves less. (laughs) Some of the freest people you'll ever find are people who have possessed true humility, and not false humility, by the way. You know what false humility is, don't you? It's a show of humility because you think it'll get you somewhere. It's not real humility. It's it's a show of humility because the people who have something that you might want, you're imagining that they would appreciate you more if they thought you were humble. That's all about self. People with humility don't think less of themselves, they just think of themselves less. And then Paul says, and Jesus was obedient. I mean, put this all together. He is the eternal God of the universe without whom nothing was made that was made. And he obeys. Well, I don't obey. I think that's sort of degrading. Really? (laughs) Is Is it degrading to be created? Is it degrading to be redeemed? Is it degrading to be sustained by God who, if he pulled back his hand, you'd die in a moment? It's in him that we live and move and have our being. Is that degrading? It's not degrading to obey. He's God. (laughs) And you're not. (laughs) And neither am I. I get to obey him. You get to obey him. And when you obey him, you're living in communion with the God of the universe. And he never asks you to do anything that would hurt you. Only things that will make your life greater. Even in the midst of of struggle, when you don't know what's going on and he says, trust me. That's the best thing you can do. And on the other side of that are good things. Trust him. And so Jesus was obedient. In fact, in John chapter 8 and verse 29, Jesus says, I always do the things that are pleasing to the Father. <laughs> he didn't think it was degrading. He was equal with the Father, but he had an economic relationship with the Father. hes Son and the Father's Father. And he says, what would you like me to do? And the Holy Spirit was always pointing away. You think it's degrading to be the Holy Spirit? There's no, seemingly, I mean, you talk about humility. This this Holy Spirit never says, hey, look at me! The Holy Spirit is always saying, look to the Father, and look to the Son, and look to the Father, and look to the Son, and look to the Father, and look to the Son. And so Jesus was obedient to the Father in everything, and seemingly his obedience knew no limits. As Paul says in verse 8 and being found in human form he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. I mean how far how do you how, how do you go beyond that? To the point of death. And then Paul says even death on the cross which is perhaps historically one of the worst deaths anyone could ever possibly have to endure. It's attack on the nervous system and the humiliated Humiliation of it, you being pinned up like an insect, like a specimen, not even human. Look at that! And where does all of this lead? Well, it all leads to divine exaltation. (laughs) Never feel sorry for somebody who lives like this. Never. And they are all around the world, in different economies, in the West, in the East, in countries where it's against the law to own a Bible, and they risk everything to read it and share it with others. In fact, I think it was Richard Wormbrand who said, never feel sorry for the persecuted church. He said, I have only ever found true joy in two places, in the Bible and the persecuted church. So where does this all lead? It leads to divine exaltation. In fact, Jesus said so um, himself. Luke chapter 14 and verse 11. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. But everyone who humbles himself will what? Be exalted. (laughs) The way up is the way down. The way to abundance is to give it all away. And so Paul continues in verse 9, And therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In fact, when you live this way, God is glorified in you. Because other people see God in And so that's the mind of Christ understood. And quickly. The mind of Christ put into practice. Notice these three verses. Verses two through four. And complete my joy. I love that. So this is, the apostle Paul was a true pastor. What did he want from the Philippians or the Corinthians or any of the people? He wanted Christ-likeness in them. <laughs> he didn't want their money. He, didn't want, he wanted Christ to be reproduced in them. Complete my joy, he said, by being of the same mind. Don't be at odds with one another. Be of the same mind, having the same love one for another. Being in full accord together with one mind. And don't do anything from rivalry or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others." This spiritual preference. No, you have it. It's like a scene from Tom and Jerry. No, I insist, you first, please. No, I insist, you, you. (laughs) Now you, how can I serve you? How can I help you? People from time to time take other jobs from Holy Cross, and it's one of the first things I always say. They come in and, Jesus, I'm sorry, you know, and this and that, and we, I'm taking this position, and I always say, Whatever is best for you. And I rejoice, and I celebrate, and then God provides. <laughs> it's God's church, not mine. It's God's church, not yours. And so Paul says to the believers in Philippi, complete my joy, make me fully. And that's what the word is, to, to fulfill, to make full. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, or in the New Living Translation, agree wholeheartedly with one another. That the, the, the church is not supposed to be a civil war or little skirmishes of, 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 uh, of um, um, terroristic raids from time to time. We're all supposed to be in the same army, on the same team, running the ball in the same direction. Agree wholeheartedly, New Living Translation, agree wholeheartedly with one another. And Paul says, complete my joy by being of the same love. Love one another in the same way. Indeed, without love, discipleship is non-existent. And let's not make it all a cliché, well, you know, we all love one another. No, it's, it's deeper, it's more profound than that. Look at the cross and then you'll see the profundity of love. Agape love. God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. You see. Love always gives. And so it's integral. To discipleship, Jesus famously said on what we often refer to as Monday Thursday, the, the Mandate Thursday, the night on which he was betrayed, and he gave this new Mandatum, the Novum Mandatum in the Latin, the new commandment, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. How? Just as I have loved you, you are to love one another. And so it's not just love however we define it. But loving one another in the same way that Christ loves you. There is no place for, oh, I'm just so glad the Lord is so gracious and kind to me. And then you turn around and demand justice of everybody around you. And you're not gracious to them, and you don't forgive them, and you're not merciful to them. You know where that leads? I hardly have to tell you. Remember, it was the religious that put Christ on the cross. It would, that didn't happen outside of the church. That happened within it. Indeed, God, with God, if we, if we aren't loving others in the way that Christ loves us with God, we're not loving at all. That doesn't even register. And so John says, a new, Jesus says, as recorded in John, a new commandment I give unto you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are to love one another. And by this all people will know that you're my disciples. Why? Because that's what he does. People will know you're his disciples because they see him in you. It's not just words. <laughs> by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have loved one for another. And Paul says, and complete my joy by being in full accord with one another, as he puts it. Or as in the New Living Translation, working together with one mind and one purpose. And this, it seems to me, is related to something that Paul said earlier in this letter to the Philippians. Chapter 1, verse 27, he says, and only let your manner of life be worthy or equal to the gospel of Christ so that whether I come to see you or whether I'm absent, I may hear that you are standing firm together in one spirit, with one mind, striving. (laughs) There's nothing casual about that. Striving. That's working hard. (laughs) Striving together, side by side, for the faith of the gospel. That is striving together to accomplish about the things we're talking about right now. So that this isn't something you come in and listen and go, well, that was interesting or boy, what got in him today or some other thing. This is supposed to be the center of my life and your life and our life together. (laughs) And Paul continues "And, and, and, and do not... Do nothing, he says, verse 3, from selfish ambition or conceit. That is to say, if you like, don't use the church as a context for carrying out your private agendas. And don't use the church as a platform for promoting yourself. Indeed, in stark contrast to that, Paul says in verse 3, Instead, in, in humility, count others, literally one another, as more significant than yourself. Just imagine if everybody was doing that. The word is significant. Everybody would be feeling significant. But you wouldn't be promoting yourself because everybody else will be promoting you. <laughs> everybody else would be preferring you. It would be just like the body working together. The hand serves the feet, the feet serves the hands. You want to go pick something up, you better have feet that are, that are working to get you over where you need to make a pickup. Instead, in humility, count others or one another more significant than yourselves. And le- let each of you look not only to his own interests but also to the interests of others. And this is, if you like, something of what the church will look like and looks like when together we're putting the mind of Christ into practice. Chuck Colson in his book titled Being the Body wrote this as I conclude. He said churches that are effectively equipping believers within the body of Christ are churches that are focused on Christ who's the head of the body. As human beings, it's easy to focus on ourselves while we're doing all the right things to meet the spiritual and physical and emotional needs of others. But if we're doing it with the wrong mindset, and in our own strength, all of that work is for nothing. And this is why the church's primary focus must always be on Christ and the developing of Christ-like character in those who call Him Lord. <laughs> now, some, some will say, well, I believe that, and then they will hasten to add, but it's easier said than done. But if we're not doing it, perhaps that's because we really don't believe it. In fact, it was Donald Miller who put it this way. He said, what I believe is not what I say I believe. What I believe is what I do. Still, the church belongs to Christ. He's shown us how to behave ourselves within it. And the church is never more healthy or strong than when we are loving and serving one another. In just the same way that Christ loves and serves each one of us. Amen. Amen. The mind of Christ understood and put into practice. Help us to put Him into practice, Lord. <laughs> It always, Lord. I always, I know. It's like it always sounds like, oh, you know, I'm busy already now. He has more things to do, but these are things that won't make us uh, 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 burden us and 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 hold us down. These are things that set us free. There was no one more free than the Son, who did always those things that are pleasing to you. He was absolutely free, and we want to be free like that too. It doesn't mean we stop being a spouse or being a parent or being a child or being a student or being an employee or an employer. We do all of those things, but we do it from the center, which is your Son, Christ. So help us, Lord, um, to take these things into account and not only to think about them, but to make them our own, we pray. In Jesus' name.